0: Good morning. Grab a Bible if you have one or a device with a Bible on it or in it. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. We're going to go to chapter 6. As you're getting there, I wanted to take a quick minute and introduce myself. My name's Todd Gorton. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I'm pretty new to staff just in the last six months, and my role is executive pastor of ministry, so I get to work with our amazing team here in all that God is is calling us to do. Uh, I want you to meet my family really briefly. I'm going to have them stand. I'm just kidding. They're here, and they would freak out. Uh, My wife, Darla, been married 20 years. We had our anniversary in January. We went to Palm Springs for two days, and we both had the flu. Yeah, that's how we felt. Uh, My daughter just turned 15. Her name is Libby. She will be a sophomore. And my son, Parker, is 13. We are so blessed just to have an amazing family. And my hair gets grayer the longer they're teenagers. So that's how it goes. We're in this series called I Am. And we're looking at who Jesus said he was. Not just who Jesus is, but we want to go to the source because there's, as the video even said, there's a lot of phrases and words that we use to describe Jesus, but we want to go directly to the source. We want to go to the scriptures, to the gospels during this series and say, who did Jesus say he was? And today we're going to look at his very first statement that we find towards the middle of John chapter 6. So if you have a Bible. We're going to look at John chapter 6. And before we get to the verses I want to, I want to speak to this morning, I want to give just a little bit of history, a little bit of background coming into the story we're going to look at. So as you come to John chapter 6, we see this very famous story if you're from or a part of the church and have been a part for a while. We see Jesus feeding the 5,000. So Jesus has been doing his public ministry. He's getting known. He's done some miracles and, and people are starting to follow him. And, and there's this massive crowd and they're off on a hillside and Jesus has been teaching them all day. Imagine that all day. This will seem short in comparison. And they're hungry. Jesus looks out and he realizes that they are hungry. And he says, we need to feed these people. And his disciples freak out going, we've done the math, Jesus. There's like five to 10,000 people here. And we just, it would take too much money. And then one of the disciples goes, well, there's this kid here. And he's got some fish and some bread. And Jesus says, have them sit down. And if you remember the story They begin to pass the food around, and it multiplies, and there's more than enough to go around to the point they have extra left over. Now imagine being in the crowd and what you're experiencing. You're getting free food, and you see that there's leftovers, and you're going, who is this guy? They're so overwhelmed, they try to make him their king. They try to physically grab Jesus and go, come, be our king, lead our people. We want a guy like you in charge. And Jesus withdraws. He knows that's not his calling. He knows it's not his time. And so he withdraws and moves away from the people. And as he does that, the disciples get into a boat and they head off to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, eventually headed to Capernaum. And Jesus waits till nightfall. And then he comes down and goes to head out to meet the disciples. And I love it because he goes walking out across the water to catch up with them. He freaks the disciples out big time. A man walking on the middle of the lake comes up to them and gets into the boat and They continue on their journey to the other side, and that's where we pick up the story in John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him, the crowd that is, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give you for on him god the father has placed his seal of approval then they asked him what must we do to do the works god requires and jesus answered the work of god is this to believe in the one he has sent so here's the crowd they catch up with jesus they find him on the other side of the lake and they're not quite sure how he got there and so they say when did you get here and i hear in their voices this question of like what did we miss I mean, the last time we hung out and listened to you teach, we all got free fish and bread. Like, what, what did we miss, Jesus? And they're displaying their absolute hunger and thirst and desire to get something from Jesus. And it seems like throughout Jesus' ministry, people are always trying to get Jesus for their own purposes. It seems that they're always trying to kind of wedge Jesus in to squeeze him into what they want, what they want him to do for them. And in this case, they are literally looking for a free meal. They're literally looking for something that God can give them through Jesus. What can we get? You gave us bread, you gave us fish, what what can we get? And Jesus' response is the beginning of part of his true identity and who he is, and it's in verse 27. Jesus responds to them and says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. See, he knew they were following him and they knew that that they tracked him down, not because they wanted to learn from him, not because they thought he was a good teacher, not because he had something life giving to offer, but because they thought, we're going to get fed. They're so focused on their own stomachs, their own desire just to be satisfied, to be filled up, that they missed it. And Jesus says, You guys are working for food that's temporary. You're out striving and desiring and wanting things that are just going to fade away. Don't, Don't do that instead work for a food that will endure. Not just a food that will endure, but a food that will endure into eternal life. Jesus is pointing out their motivations. As Jesus so often does, he's exposing their true desires and what's beneath the surface in their lives and saying, you guys are just hungry. All you can think about is yourselves. And then Jesus goes on to say, after he says that you need to work for this food that endures, he goes on to say, the Son of Man has that food because God the Father has placed his seal of approval, and Jesus says, on me, on himself. And this phrase, seal of approval, really means I am authenticated as the Son of God. We don't do a lot with seals these days, but back in the day, a seal was a sign that something was authentic, it was real. It came from the king or whoever it was from. It said, this is, it's a certificate of authenticity in our day and age. And Jesus says, God the Father has placed his seal of approval on me. And that means you can trust me. That means when I say there's a bread that's coming, there's a food that's coming that endures, that will last into eternal life, it is the truth. Don't miss it. One commentator said it this way about the crowd in that moment. Instead of seeing a sign in the bread, they had seen only bread in the sign. It had excited mere curiosity and greed. Here Jesus is, Declaring himself, declaring truth about himself to these people, and all they can think about is their own needs. So they ask him. They go, okay, Jesus, you have this, this food that endures. Verses 28 and 29, they ask him, what must we do? So what must we do to do the works God requires? How do we get this food, they're saying? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they are asking, what works do we need to do? And Jesus is saying, well, the work of God is this, works versus work, two different things. The crowd is saying, what do we need to do? We want to go out and do something. We want to earn the right to get this food. And Jesus says, no, 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 this isn't about doing. This is about believing. This isn't about works righteousness, about out getting things for yourselves, about earning something. It's about just what you believe. It's about who you actually are. It's not works, it's the work of God. And Jesus in his answer is exposing this beautiful picture of who he is. This beautiful picture that while we're all hungry and we try to fill ourselves up, Jesus offers something so simple to just believe in him. We we live in a world, are you familiar with the phrase planned obsolescence? We live in a world where everything around us is even designed to fail. That's why we have to get new phones all the time. Right? I mean, it's just like temporary. When's the last time you wore an item of clothing? When's the last time I wore an item of clothing that actually wore out? It just doesn't really happen that often. We, we kind of move on to the next thing. This, this whole world is designed in a way that we kind of go from one thing to the next, to the next. It's very temporary. Now, some of you have been following Jesus longer than I've been alive. I've met some of you, and it's amazing to hear some of your story and your history following Christ. Some of you are just here exploring, you maybe came with a friend or you're checking out this whole church thing, but the question remains the same. Do you want to work for the temporary or do you want food that that endures, that endures to eternal life? And Jesus is pointing out this reality that we all want to be satisfied, it's all a matter of where we go to get it. Now about 10 or 11 years ago, I was snowboarding with a group of students, we were out in Park City, Utah, beautiful place. And the kind of day had gone on, and it was getting to the end of the day, and I wanted to take one more run. You know the last run, if you're a skier or snowboarder? I wanted to take one last run, and I went out, and I was coming down the hill, just cruising along, and I didn't see that there was a ledge on the slope. And I went off about a three-foot ledge, and because I didn't see it, I landed really weird, and I spiral fractured my fibula, like all the way around my fibula. It was very painful. I was in a cast for like 13 weeks. I had one of those little motorized scooters to get around on. It was so fun. But at the time, I was driving this little Mazda and it was a manual transmission. So, my wife, before Uber was invented, was like Ubering me around, taking me places. And I was sitting down at coffee one afternoon with a friend and we were chatting. And I was griping a little bit about my poor wife has to drag me around. I have a car. And he said, You know, he said, We have two cars. He said, We have have an extra. He said, I personally have two cars. He said, Why don't you just take me home when we're done? You can borrow my car as long as you need it, it's yours. What a generous, you know, so generous. And so we walked out to the parking lot and got into his two-year-old Porsche 911 Cabriolet convertible. Oh, I was so glad I was a pastor in that moment. He felt bad for me. It was wonderful. I took him home and he's like, you've driven a Porsche before, right? And I'm like, yeah, you know, drove away all carefully and then started driving the car. I drove it all the time, went everywhere. My neighbors were like, how does a pastor afford a brand new Porsche? You know, it was great. My wife and I, I drove up PCH, the convertible top down. My crutches, like, sticking out of the back. <laughs> and as I drove the car and drove the car, you know, I needed to go get gas. When I got gas, and I had to fill it up with premium. It's like, ouch. <laughs> and then it's like a beautiful car, so I take it to the car wash. I'm like, I'm going to get this car washed so it always looks nice. Well, you can't take it through the normal car wash because it's too wide and has special tires and wheels, so you hand wash it for $65. And the guy at the car wash was telling me, well, you know, oil changes are kind of like triple the price. And I started to realize, like, I really wanted the lifestyle of a Porsche owner. Like, I really did. I love how it made me feel. And I love, love what the experience was driving around in this red Porsche. I like to just say Porsche. It sounded special. But I didn't want to pay the price, right? I didn't want the actual cost. I didn't want to really dive into it. I, I just kind of wanted what it would do for me. And here we see this crowd, these people around Jesus, and they are thinking about what Jesus will do for them. That's all they're thinking about. That's all that's on their heart and their mind is what Jesus will do for them, not really who Jesus was. I want to say it this way, and I want to ask you this question. Do you want what Jesus can give you, or do you want Jesus? Do you just want what Jesus has to offer and what he has to give you? Is this like punching a ticket to get somewhere? Or is this some kind of like, it makes me feel good? Or is this really, I want Jesus because of who he is? The crowd wanted the benefit of Jesus without any kind of relationship. I love how Francis Chan has said it before. He said, lots of people are attracted to Jesus, but very few will actually follow him. And if we're honest, we have to ask ourselves that question today. Because Jesus is standing right here. He's standing right with us. He's right with us in his presence through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, will you believe? Will you believe in me? And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you know, maybe you're checking out this whole church thing. I want to tell you, you don't have to earn your way into this Christianity thing in this church. That's not how it works. There are no works that get you anywhere. The Bible teaches us. It's purely Jesus standing there saying, will you believe in me? Will you believe in me? Will you believe that I came, that I walked on this earth, that I was a real person? Will you believe in me and have faith that I died and rose again? And if you believe that, everything will change. All that temporary stuff now is filled with meaning. So often we get the order wrong. We try to start with the outside stuff. We try to start with our works and all the things we can do and things the way they make us feel. And we try to jam all that into us to make us feel better and then... Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 you have it backwards. It starts from the inside out. It starts when you believe in me and I give you new life from the inside out. And all of a sudden, begin to overflow into all these wonderful things in this world and in this life. Well, the crowds are there. Jesus has made it very clear, you just need to believe in me. And let's look at how they respond. We'll still be in chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 30. So the crowds, they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says, all you have to do is believe in me. And their first response is, well, what sign are you going to give us? I love it. He's going, what are you going to do, Jesus? You got to do something for us. And they quickly go to this story. They say, well, Jesus, you may may or may not know this. I mean, unbelievably, he would have known. That our ancestors, like, they got fed. Like, bread came down from heaven. And they're kind of pitting Moses against Jesus. That's literally what they are doing. They're going, well, you know this guy Moses? He's pretty incredible. Like, bread appeared from heaven. It just showed up in the morning. And I know you did this loaves and fishes thing. It was pretty cool. But our ancestors got bread from heaven. And they're going back into their history. They're going back to the book of Exodus, starting in chapter 13 all the way to chapter 16. And they're bringing this story up to Jesus because they know their history and they know that they were slaves. The Israelites, the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. And God used Moses to lead them out. They go through the Red Sea. God wipes out Pharaoh and his armies. They come to the other side and they're singing. They're actually writing songs about how amazing their God is. And you literally turn the page in your Bible And they're complaining and grumbling. And they're saying, God, actually, you let us out into the wilderness. Woe is us. You're trying to kill us. At least when we were slaves, we had food to eat. And they're crying out to God. And as one commentator wrote, their food crisis becomes a faith crisis. Their food crisis becomes a faith crisis. And it's no different than us today. When we're in some kind of a crisis in our lives, it starts to erode and eat away at our faith. Isn't that how it can feel? When we have a job crisis, I've been there. I've been laid off when a company shut down. And it created a faith crisis in some ways for me. I started to go to God and question Him and and doubt and, and, and have worries and concerns and anxieties. And maybe it's a relationship crisis you're in. Is it creating a faith crisis for you? Maybe it's a money crisis. Maybe it's a future crisis about where you're supposed to be going and heading in your life. This is how we behave the same way the Israelites did. And Jesus is saying, you completely missed the point. The manna was never even about the manna. It was about God providing for his people. This isn't about Moses. It's not about manna. The true bread is the bread that comes down from heaven. And again, he's alluding to himself. He's building up to his big I am statement. And he's saying the true bread wasn't manna. As miraculous as that was, the true bread is God's provision for his people. And I am saying to you, people, crowds, Jesus is saying, I am right here in front of you. The crowd still thinks he's talking about temporary food, about some kind of miraculous thing he's going to do for them. They're they're talking literally about their stomachs. They just want to be satisfied. They want to be filled up. And Jesus is talking about their hearts. Jesus is talking about the spiritual. And they respond saying, okay, sir, give us us this bread. Give it to us always. It's a little bit sarcastic in the text. You're going to give it to us? Let's give it to us always so we can always have it. In Jesus' response, I want us to hear it again, verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is saying, I am the new manna, and I will sustain you not for 40 years, but for all eternity. Jesus is saying, I didn't come to bring you bread and to feed you. I came to be bread for your soul. I came to fill you up. I came to be nourishment. I came to be life. The crowds are so confused. They're taking him so literally. A little later, he actually says, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part in me. And they freak out. Thousands of people walk away because they're taking him literally. Jesus often used the physical. He often used the everyday to help us understand the spiritual, help us understand our hearts and our lives. They're so blinded by their own hunger, so blinded by their own needs, I just got to get filled up, I got to have something that'll just hit and fill me up, that they're missing Jesus and he's right in front of them. Have you ever missed something or have you ever been close and you look back and go, oh man, if I would have missed that, I would have been devastated. We have some really good friends, and they loaned us, much like our friend before that loaned us a car, they loaned us their RV. The only two times in my life someone's loaned me a vehicle, but... Some good friends of ours knew we were headed camping to meet some of my college friends up near Acton, middle of the desert, do some, you know, ride some ATVs and have a fun time over Memorial Day weekend... And uh, they said, hey, take the RV. It's a little older, but it runs great. Take it. You'll have a blast. And so we get the RV. We get it all loaded up. It's it's got a fridge and stove and tea, you know, all this cool stuff in there. And we're like glamping. We're so excited. Kids are in the back. My son's younger at the time. And the first thing he wants to do is go use the rolling toilet, you know. It's like we barely left the house and he wants to head back in and use the toilet. We get on the road and I'm starting to get a little more stressed out because I'm driving this huge RV and we're starting to get into some traffic. And On and on it goes, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes down the road, and I'm I'm getting more and more stressed out because I'm driving this giant box on wheels between these really narrow lanes, and traffic is awful. We're in this stop-and-go traffic. I'm starting to stress out. I'm starting to get more and more frustrated. Something doesn't seem to be quite right, and I can't... I'm thinking it's me, and, you know, in the back, my wife and kids, they're, like, playing cards and having a good time, and I'm, like, trying to fly the space shuttle, like, stressed out beyond all belief. (laughs) It's a long story, but essentially it gets worse. It goes slower. I'm the guy on the right side of the freeway who's clogging up all the traffic and you're all annoyed at me. And I'm like, enough is enough. This thing won't go above like literally 15, 20 miles per hour. So I pull off. I'm looking for some kind of a parking lot because I don't want to turn this thing around in someone's driveway. And I see a Home Depot sign and we pull into Home Depot and we start making phone calls. No mechanics open. It's Memorial Day weekend. I am stressed out. I'm like, this is the dumbest vacation ever. I hate RVs. Whoever invented these things, my stupid friend who loaned me this thing, didn't tell me he's giving me a lemon. And I'm like all frustrated on it. And my amazing wife, my incredible wife, sees there's a roller skating rink across from Home Depot. And she takes our daughter roller skating and my son and I play cards. And we come back and I think we watched a movie together. Right there between the sheds and the lawnmowers, we started having a vacation at Home Depot. Did you know Domino's Pizza will deliver to an RV in the parking lot of a Home Depot? (laughs) I kid you not, they will knock on your door. (laughs) Hello, who is it? It's the pizza guy. But I almost missed it. I almost missed it. It was right in front of me. An opportunity to be with my family, to be present, to have an amazing time in the Home Depot parking lot. I almost missed it. And I'm telling you, the crowd misses Jesus, but he's right in front of them. He's right there. He's right here with us today. And don't, oh, people, don't miss Jesus. Don't miss him, whether it's the first time you're coming to know him today or you've known him for years and years and years. Don't miss that he's standing right in front of you and saying, I want to fill up your life. I want to be that source of sustenance, that source of nutrition. I want to feed you and feed the depths of who you are forever, enduring eternally. No one that ever walked this earth was like Jesus. Not yesterday, not today, not into the future. The Bible tells us when we look out and see an invisible God that we want to see visibly, we look at Jesus because he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. And the scripture tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. That is the Jesus we see in the text who says that I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying to us today, I I know your desires. I know your heart. I know that you want to get filled up. That's normal and that's natural, but there's all these good things in the world and they can actually get in the way sometimes. There's so much in this world that says, I will satisfy you, I will fill you up. And Jesus says, but you really only need me. There's so much in this world that promises to satisfy. Like Snickers. Snickers. It promises to satisfy you. As a matter of fact, it says right on the back, satisfies. It's telling me, it's like, Todd, I will fill you up. I will satisfy you. And we come to the Snickers and we're like, this it's going to fill me up. Like, That's a lot of caramel. <laughs> and nougat. And peanuts. It's pretty good. It's actually pretty satisfying. That's true marketing. And then we chew a little kind of swallow the things in our lives that say, I'll fill you up. And we go, "Mm, hmm, satisfying, but at some point we start to recognize the nutritional value. (laughs) 250 calories, 12 grams of fat, 27 grams of sugar. I'm still reeling from last service, like, (laughs) my one bite. But we know this about sugar, it wears out, doesn't it? It wears off have names for it. The sugar crash, the sugar high. It lasts, and it's temporary, and we love these hits. And they're not bad things, but they're not meant to be nutritional. They're not meant to fill us up. They're meant to be enjoyed, but in the end, they're they're empty. They'll, They'll never be enough. And here we have the crowds, and we merge our lives with the very crowds here at this time in Jesus' story, thinking about our desires, thinking about our stomachs when Jesus is talking about our hearts. We'll settle, won't we, for being temporarily full? We'll settle for being temporarily full when Jesus wants to give us life and life abundantly. I want to say it to you this way. We want, as people, we want immediate satisfaction while Jesus is offering eternal sustenance. Jesus offers eternal sustenance, nutrition, and value, and life what will sustain us beyond anything in this world or in this life? It seems sometimes, and I, I've been guilty of this, that in the church, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we kind of play this spiritual hokey-pokey with our lives. We kind of put our right arm in, and we kind of put our right arm out. Put our right arm in, and I won't keep going. It's awkward. But we do that, don't we? And, and you have to know this following Christ thing is to be all in. It's very simple. It starts just believing, but then we start to grow The Holy Spirit starts to transform us. Our lives begin to change. It's been said that Jesus doesn't want fans. He wants followers. And so we see the crowd. Again, they're just following Jesus around, but they're not really choosing to follow him. They're not willing to pay any kind of cost. I have to tell you, as as a pastor, one of the pastors here, you know, we get a very unique view into all of your lives, into, into life. I've gotten to stand on a stage and introduce a young couple for the very first time to their friends and family. What an honor. And then we throw like a big party afterwards. It's so fun. I've also sat on my couch with my wife with a couple across from us as they talk about decisions they've made that have damaged or broken relationship between them and have counseled with them and met with them. Had the opportunity to see kids become teenagers, become adults, and then have their own kids. What a beautiful picture. What an an honor. I've, I've held the hand of a woman in the hospital dying of cancer And have her say, Todd, would you you do my memorial service and make sure people know my life was all about Jesus? What an honor. And in in those views, those little snapshots of life that we, we all see in our interactions, I just recognize that there's a lot of desire. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of longing for things. There's a lot of filling our lives with things. And at the end, it's all temporary. It all satisfies for a little while, but with the wrong order, without Jesus first, it really is empty. Now, the amazing thing is this as we believe in Christ and we bring Jesus into our lives, and the Holy Spirit fills us, and we begin to live as a follower of Jesus and go by the way of Jesus and by the teachings of Jesus and by what the scriptures teach us, we become a part of a church community, we come into family, we begin to grow together. All these other things now become full of meaning going out to dinner with friends and walking the dog on our, in our neighborhood. They become opportunities to love people and serve them and share the gospel. So the question for us this morning is, are you working for a food that is temporary? Are you working for a food that spoils, or are you working for one that endures because of the work that Christ has done for us? Jesus is the bread of life, and he goes to the cross to be the broken bread for us. He goes to the cross to be the broken bread for you and for me. A little later in John chapter 6, Jesus gives us this new reality. He gives us this new picture, this new way of living, and he says this in verse 57. The one who feeds on me will live because of me. The one who feeds on me, Jesus says, will live because of me. What is your life designed to be feeding on? Where do you find the source of life? Where do you find nutrition? Where do you find satisfaction? Where do you get filled up? Is it from your job? I love working. I I love the jobs that I've had that God has blessed me with. But they are temporary. Is it social media? Is it a friendship and a relationship where if you really think about it, you're kind of relying on them instead of serving them. you're, You're counting on them to fill you up and fill you up. Is your life designed to feed on Jesus? I want to lead us into a time of prayer. I want to lead us into a moment where we have a chance to reflect on that very question. And as we do that, we're going to also prepare our hearts for communion in just a moment as the band comes up. And so I want you to do this. Would you just set down the stuff that you have in your lap? I know a lot of us have Bibles and pens and journals, which is wonderful. Just kind of set those down and remove the distractions. And I want you, if you're you're willing just to take a simple prayer posture with me and just open your hands before the Lord. We're going to close our eyes. Open our hands. And we're just going to ask God to speak to us. We're going to say, Father, through your Son, Jesus, would you speak to us? Would you reveal to us where and what in our lives is is temporarily filling us up? Lord, where are we seeking to fill our lives? Where are we seeking to fill our lives with all that is good, but temporary? In this posture, just maybe you need to place your job, a relationship, in those hands, open before the Lord. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your very future. Maybe there's something that you just want so desperately and you don't feel like God is answering that prayer. He would ask you just to surrender it to him today with open hands. Father, with open hands, we, we sit here, we, we gather this morning in your name, Jesus. And we just hold before you all those amazing things you bless us with, God, all the great gifts that you give us in this life that we know are temporary. Would you remind us of that, Father? Lord, and in just a moment as we come to these tables of communion, would you remind us that this bread is you, the bread of life broken for us, and that this juice, Lord, is a symbol of your blood. God, remind us that your presence is seen and found in these tables as we gather as your church. Lord, thank you for speaking to our hearts. Continue to speak to us as we come to the communion tables and worship. Amen.